Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome, everyone. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile calling from Orlando today. And it's just Tom and me this week, along with our great Legal Talk Network production team. Uh, Adriana will be back with us soon. Tom and I are experimenting with a new format, and we're welcoming our first new sponsor, uh, our friends at Rocket Matter, and you'll hear more about them later. Tom, why don't you tell them what we got going on today? Absolutely. In this episode, we, we want to tinker with a new format. We're, we're just going to have one main topic that we talk about today. Uh, then we'll have a mailbag segment. We've gotten several questions over the past week that we want to, uh, to answer, questions by our listeners. And we're going to close it up with our usual parting shots, which is that one, the, that one tip website or observation that you can use the minute this podcast is over. But we've been thinking a lot about presentations lately. I'm in Orlando today to give a presentation. Uh, Dennis and I both give a lot of presentations over the course of the last 10 to 12 years, and and we see a lot of them. And so our topic today is really going to be about PowerPoint. Can't live with it. Can't kill it dead. So how best to make use of PowerPoint? We, we, it's it's a, a necessary evil. Uh, Dennis, you've been using PowerPoint for how long? Probably longer than me. Well, Tom, part of uh, motivation for this topic was when I came to you and said, hey, I, I'm really interested in this new Web 2.0 service. All right, it's not all that new, but SlideShare. And I was thinking about putting up all of my old PowerPoints. And to your credit, you didn't laugh out loud at me, but uh, you made me think about it. But I went back and looked at those old PowerPoint slides. And and my PowerPoint slides start about 1997, including a, a PowerPoint presentation about how lawyers should use PowerPoint. And so I, it's interesting. I had a couple of thoughts as I looked at, at those. But one was I, I re- really noticed the evolution of my style from a, a very dense style with a lot of uh, bullet points. I mean, I still use some of the techniques that people recommend, uh, so I didn't use a lot of words, but I used, they just seemed very dense to me. And so now I have a leaner, a more open style. I mean, do you cringe sometimes when you go back and look at your first PowerPoint slides? <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I really don't cringe. And, and the reason is, and we'll talk about this, I think, more during the podcast. I think the reason is, is that when I first started giving presentations, I, I didn't give them from the perspective of, teaching about the law or about technology in general, I was training people on how to do research on the internet. And so most of my most of my presentations were sort of what we'll talk about later. They were very heavy on images and screenshots so that people could see things. And, you know, yep, I used text. I used it a lot, but I really needed to get my message across a different way. And so I didn't have that same experience that I've seen that lots of lawyers have had, but, but I'm no stranger to that. So I, I, I see where, I, I see where you have that. And, and I, gosh, three or four presentations at this conference alone have the same issues. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting as I look back at, at PowerPoint and you think about how the way lawyers use PowerPoint, which is heavy, heavy on text traditionally and, and, and bullet points. And my sense is that we're just, it's a great program that we're just not using very well. And, and as an aside, I, I will say that when we talk about PowerPoint here, we're obviously referring to, to all of the presentations programs generically as, as well. But I, I looked at PowerPoint and it's, I thought about how you could use it. And you can do graphics, you can do charts, you can do audio, you can do video. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, you can do outlines. There's just a lot of ways to use PowerPoint. And it seems like lawyers use it in a very limited kind of way. And and I was actually thinking, and, and you might think this is a little silly, Tom, but if you limited me to just one program that I could have on my computer other than a browser, obviously, I think I might pick PowerPoint. And, and I'm going to challenge you on that in just a second. But I, I do want to say to to your point that we're talking about any type of presentation software, and that obviously includes Keynote from Apple. I think we'd have Apple folks who, would, if, if they could be online with us now, would say that it's far superior to PowerPoint, and, and in many ways it does have a lot, uh, a lot more powerful features. But I want to come back to your to your question about uh, 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 your your issue about that it, it would be your Swiss Army knife. It would be the one tool that you use. Explain that a little bit more because I'm not sure I get that. I I wouldn't necessarily pick Outlook or PowerPoint. I would probably pick Outlook uh, as my other application if I had to, or some email tool. But t- tell me why PowerPoint is is the be all and end all beside your browser. Well, I think because it allows me to do some simple things. So if I want to do some outlines, I can do outlines. If I want to do simple of uh, charts and graphs, I can use this as a tool. If I want to actually uh, work and edit images, I can do that. And so it's a very versatile program. I can put links in it, uh, as I said, you know, insert audio and video. Uh, if, if I wanted to do a, a, a presentation that I wasn't actually doing slides and just wanted to outline that presentation, I could do that in PowerPoint. And I call, also use text boxes to use it to, to write simple things. So um, to just I just find it very versatile. It's one of those things that for me, I look at HTML, case map. Uh, there are some other things where I just look at the program and I said, I can do almost anything I want in this program. You know, I really think I, I agree with all of that. I think you can do all of that. But I, I tend to be one who uses other programs that can do some of those things a little bit better. I, I'm more of a purist. And I think as we go along in this conversation, I will probably be the curmudgeon in terms of PowerPoint and presentations. Um, but I definitely see the point. Let's let's move along a little bit and talk about sort of our least favorite uses of PowerPoint. Dennis, what what do you think is your least favorite use of PowerPoint? Well, I, I just always go to this one example I, I I saw. It was, of course, a lawyer presentation, and it was dense. I mean, just dense with text and bullets. Uh, the font was really small. And what I remember, it w- was the last session before lunch, and at, right at noon, uh, he still had 18 slides to go. And he also had... Hand, done the handout of all his slides so you could you were following along and I think he grayed out each point as he made it and he had 18 slides to go they were dense with text and he stubbornly refused not to move forward and he did each individual point and he kept talking faster and faster and didn't cut anything out um, despite the fact that he must have heard everyone's stomach growling and that's one of the worst uses of, of PowerPoint I've ever seen and, and sort of the model of what to avoid. I'm sorry. I think I dozed off while you were talking. That that 
just tremendously, tremendously painful presentation. I agree completely with that style as being not something you want to use. I, I like to go back, our friend Dan Pennington with Law Pro in Canada, he's got a great program on bad PowerPoint and, and he's got lots of ways that people abuse PowerPoint and really, I think that some of the worst ways that, that you can use it are to use too many animations, to fall in love with the animation tool, you know, using the wrong color text for the background that you're using. So effectively, you can't see the text at all. Um, using sound and video files to the extent that it's on every slide that becomes annoying. Those are just some of the really, really, to me, annoying ways that PowerPoint gets used. Do you think, Dennis, that PowerPoint is, I mean, we've, we're sort of complaining about its use today. Do you think that, that, that lawyers have killed PowerPoint as a presentation tool or uh, is it, is it just lawyers? What do you think about, about how lawyers use PowerPoint? Well, I mean, it's interesting. If you think about, uh, you know, like the Steve Jobs presentations, or Richard Susskind's recent presentation, uh, the TED conference presentations, this, the, the presentations where there's a memorable use of slides. Uh, the one thing they seem to have in common these days is there are no bullet points and there's very little text. So I, I think it's just a matter of style. I mean, I, I think PowerPoint really is a requirement for, for presentations these days. But I think what's happened is lawyers have tended, especially have tended to focus on the slides and and that actually pulls the the focus of your presentation away from the actual content and from you as a presenter, and that's where I think you get the real problem. Well, I I I won't limit it to lawyers. I've I've sat on planes next to people finishing up powerpoints for whatever meeting they were attending, and and I would say that there is no discernible difference between the powerpoint styles of any other industry. Uh, people giving those types of presentations. Um, I. Uh, uh, you know, my, my, my thought on it is that even though you don't want to pull the focus from the presentation and the presenter, you need to have something tangible to take away. You need to be able to, uh, to, to have something that the, that the folks can take notes on or, and so I think that text to a certain extent is important. But, uh, but in general, I agree. Listen, we, we've got to move on just a little bit. Can we, can talk about sort of our best tips? Our best ideas and tips for using PowerPoint, sort of the takeaways that we want our listeners to get. Yeah, I mean, as you start. Yeah, let me let me go with with two real quick. And and part of it is as I get older, this becomes a bigger issue. But I mean, text size and legibility. I'm just amazed at how small people are willing to go on font size. When the recent presentation we did at Tech Show, uh, I went with as small a font size as I've ever done. And it was sort of a unique way we did the slides. There was a lot of white space. So this worked, but we were at a 28 point aerial font. And I, I just was really nervous about that. It, it worked well. I like to use very big fonts. And, and I think that's, that's an important thing. And you just see so many slides these days where even I saw something recently where the presenter apologized because they said they knew the people in the room couldn't read it. And, and that, that just doesn't work. And then the, the one thing I really stick with as a is my best tip for everybody, and this is something, Tom, you and I do a lot. It's I think you have to have a conclusion slide. So you end, even if you rush for time, you have a conclusion slide, and that allows you to end powerfully, ideally with about three conclusions to to finish up your point. And I mean, Tom, you and I tend to end with what I call a double conclusion. So there's sort of a subject matter conclusion slide with three points, and then what we call the, the action steps conclusion, um, which gives people some things they can do. And I, I think that's probably if you ask me one tip, that's the one I would say. 
I think that's important. I think having a takeaway for the audience, something to immediately start working on, I, I think is important. I'll give my two and then we'll and then we'll move on from this. My two really is about learning. Uh, the first one is to learn the design features. You know, learn what the animations do. Work through them. Don't just haphazardly choose an animation that you're going to use. I when I first started out, one of my great sins was using random animations, and that was probably one of the worst decisions I ever made. Learn how to create visual elements. I, you know, using them to a certain extent can be very tasteful, very powerful, but, uh, you know, just start clicking around, see what works, get under the hood and learn those features, pull the menu down and see what certain features of PowerPoint do. The second tip is learning also, but it's learning the presentation features. You know, there are a number of ways to go back and forth with the slides in a PowerPoint presentation. You know, I, I'm amazed at how many people don't know that, that the P button will do the previous slide, that the B button will give you a blackout screen in case you need to hide the slides. The W button gives you a whiteout screen if you happen to be in, in bright light. Uh, you know, there are a few things as awkward that I can think of than somebody fumbling around with their presentation on screen. And having a smooth presentation really lends, really leads to being seen as an effective speaker with the audience. Um, let, let's wrap it up. We've got to take a break. But Dennis, do you have a, a last statement about PowerPoint? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing, another big thing is, hey, don't read the damn slides. Nobody wants to hear you read things. So, but PowerPoint at this point, I think probably gets too much blame in these days. I mean, it's a tool. And our real message is make sure it's the right tool for the job at hand and then learn how to use it well. I mean, to me, blaming PowerPoint for bad presentations is like blaming hammers for poorly built houses. It's, <laughs> you know, once again, as, as our recurring theme is, it's, it's more about people, really, and how you do things than it is about the actual technology. We are in agreement. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, the audience questions, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our new sponsor, Rocket Matter. By now, you may have heard of Rocket Matter, the blazingly fast online legal productivity application that is saving time and increasing profits at law firms across the world. Easily track time, tasks, clients, and matters. Take phone messages, manage your calendars, even print all your invoices with the click of a mouse and without installing anything. Stop by rocketmatter.com today and take a look. Rocket Matter. Work smarter, bill more, save time. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And this is our new segment in which we answer questions from our audience that we've received during the week. Tom, would you pull a question out of the mailbag? Or maybe we need to come up with a more techie or, or modern reference to mailbags. The, the inbox, perhaps? Uh, anyway... Before we do that, a reminder, you can submit questions by sending a tweet to the Legal Talk Network. Their account is just Legal Talk. You can also send questions by mail to our email address, tkmreport at gmail.com. We've got three questions today. We'll, uh, some of them are PowerPoint related. Some of them are not. Uh, this is our first one from our friend Doug Cornelius in Massachusetts. Uh, with the increasing use of webinars, I think it is time to break up PowerPoint rules into two camps. What works for a live presentation does not work for a webinar. 
With a live presentation, you want the focus to be on you with the PowerPoint supplementing your points and providing necessary visual. With a webinar, the focus is now on the slides because they can't see you. You need many more slides and visuals to keep your webinar audience engaged. Your thoughts, Dennis? You know, Tom, it is so different doing a live presentation from doing a webinar, and, and this is is an excellent point. And and I would I would extend it a bit to say uh, you want to think even further, so that when you do slides, you want to think about your actual audience. And so I think what works best in a live presentation is not necessarily a good set of slides for a handout, and and vice versa. But there is such a big difference between a webinar and a live presentation. So this is this is an excellent point. Do you find the same thing? Well, you know, what I think is actually more intriguing about a webcast is when you're giving a presentation live someplace, person to person, face to face, you often don't have an internet connection. So you, you're, you're going just solely with your PowerPoint presentation, but I'm a big believer in demonstrations and, uh, and, and being able to get out on the internet and use that tool to show people how things work, um, and, and, go, and navigate to websites and things like that, that you don't really have that ability live. And so I, I totally agree. I think that a webcast, because you're not making that personal connection, you've got to sort of use a bigger arsenal of tools to keep attention, make it interesting. And, you know, if text, eight, 18 lines of text with uh, in 18 point font don't work in person, they're even more deadly uh, when you've got a webcast. So let's uh, let's go to the second question from another friend, Allison Shields from New York. Uh, the presentation that uh, you and Dennis did at Tech Show made me think: Does Twitter change PowerPoint presentations? Should it? Is the Twitter 140 character restriction a good thing to think about when creating a PowerPoint presentation? Whether you anticipate it will be tweeted or not. And let me start with that by saying that that at Tech Show we presented our PowerPoint had uh, was was basically fifty tips that we expanded on talking about collaboration tools. And I noticed right before our session that our our tips happened to be in nice one hundred and forty uh, text limit chunks that were perfect for posting to Twitter. And I meant, I made that comment. And, and I think she makes a good point because now that people are using Twitter as a tool to talk about what's going on in, in sessions, sh should we be influenced by that? I'm, I'm of a mixed opinion about that. What do you think, Dennis? Well, I, I think it is going to have an influence in in a number of ways. Obviously, it will vary depending on the on the presentation. I mean, at Tech Show, you're, there's a greater likelihood of twittering from the from the presentation. The idea that your slides can shape what people will twitter because you put something short and memorable is an intriguing one. But I also think the the larger point that if you're starting to think of the 140 character limit and short bites as your as the point you're making on your slides. I think that's really beneficial. And with our friend Matt Homan, who I think first tried to do a presentation that was that actually used the 140 character limiter. He's the first one I knew of who in the, the sort of legal area who did it. And I really liked the idea then. And I think Allison has a has a great insight here. But um, it's interesting if you go back to the webinar notion. It's eerie sometimes when you do a webinar because there's just no response coming from anybody, and it's just an odd feeling that you give it. <laughs> but I I think that probably for our tech show presentation, I thought a lot about uh, what, how people might Twitter the presentation. And it was the first time where I realized that there was an outside audience in addition to what was in the room. So I think Twitter will have a number of impacts on, on presentations. 
Well, our, our final question uh, came to us by email, and it is also Twitter-related. It's kind of a fun question. It says, I noticed that Dennis has his Twitter tweets automatically post as his Facebook updates. How can I do that, and is it a good idea? Dennis, tell us what you use to do that. You know, uh, I'm going to give away one of my best technology tips, is that when you have a question like this, what I do is I just instant message Tom, and Tom gives me the answer. But I think there are really probably two ways that, that people are doing this. There's an actual uh, Twitter application in Facebook, and I think you just do a search inside Facebook, and you can find it pretty easily, and that will automatically do it. You you adjust some settings, and it will it will go up onto Facebook. And a lot of a lot of us use TweetDeck or another tool to post to Twitter, and that has now a, just a checkbox that will put it post to, to Facebook as well. Um, so, so I think there are a number of ways. It's almost one of those things that you can Google and find a, a number of approaches. I don't. I I'm sure that I got my advice on how I did it from from Tom originally. Tom, do you have some other thoughts or some thoughts about the advisability of 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 posting directly from Twitter to Facebook? I do, I, and and I use TweetDeck, and it does allow you to post to to both directly. There's also another tool called ping.fm, P-I-N-G.fm. And that's even more powerful because you can post to not only Facebook and Twitter, but to about maybe 15 other social networking services simultaneously, which is a little frightening to me. But but as far as the advisability of it, one thing that I notice, and, and this is probably for those of you who make active use of both Facebook and Twitter, is I think that it's fine to... to, to, to tweet certain things over to Facebook, but I've seen a lot of people who will will retweet something that someone has said and also update their Facebook status with it. And your Facebook people have no idea what's coming over. They have no idea what that is or what the context is. And I see a lot of people complain about that. That may be a small point, but I think that uh, that if that's important to you, then, then then don't just send everything over. Be strategic in, in, in when you're updating those things. Uh, you know, we actually have it's not a question but it's a comment and it's an additional tip for powerpoint and it comes from from adriana linares who is with us in not in person but in spirit and she says that that you can absolutely help lawyers learn powerpoint better by training so adriana you're absolutely right we need to emphasize that lawyers need to get training on how to use powerpoint and that will absolutely help them uh, uh, become better presenters and practice a lot that oh, helps yes, too. Abso- absolutely absolutely uh, one uh, one extra question that we had and Dennis you want to want to cover this we've had some inquiries about uh, our 2009 update for our book and its availability yeah I, actually I put that in on our, our notes as a little joke to you Tom but but I'm happy to talk about the book we did we did do a CD update for the book that has some new material and including some audio from us a new chapter lots of tips and and some other things, and and if you check out the ABA bookstore, you'll see it's available at least for pre-order. But some people at Tech Show were actually able to purchase that. Excellent. You want to take us out of here, Tom? Yep, it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Dennis, you're up. Um, two. Actually, I'm going to sneak in two tips here. One is that for PowerPoint, I just always send people to Cliff Atkinson's book, Beyond Bullet Points, which I think is actually a revolution in how you think about using PowerPoint and doing presentations, and especially thinking in terms of a story that you're telling the audience. But the real tip I want people to take a look at comes from a recent post on Lifehacker, a well-known blog. It was about um, screen capture tools. and 
I, I think that if people don't know about the using in Windows Alt print screen or Control print screen or in Windows Vista, there's also a screen capture tool. There's a program called Snagit if you're willing to pay money. But it's amazing how useful this tool is in, in capturing screens uh, for presentations. I find that I use it a lot in creating documents where somebody sent me something maybe as a PDF or a spreadsheet and I'm having trouble importing it into the Word document and maybe I want to do an exhibit or an attachment to a document. I can actually just capture the screen Post it into my paste it into my Word document as a graphic, and then crop it and adjust the side of it, and all of a sudden I have exactly that chart or whatever I need into my document, and it happens really quickly. Very useful tool, uh, free, and we'll, we'll put a note about that in our in our show notes. Tom. Yeah, mine is uh, a little self-serving. The, the presentation I gave today in Orlando is called A Day in the Life of an Email, and I'll be pr uh, reprising that presentation on May the 19th uh, uh, for Fios uh, at fiosinc.com. It's a free webcast. Uh, the reason why I think you should attend is because I talk about the ways that lawyers know where email lives and how to find it if their client becomes the subject of a lawsuit or an investigation or some regulatory matter. And, and I think that of all the types of e-discovery, it's the one thing that I think lawyers need to know the most because email is really the most prevalent, common form of e-discovery, the most important, the one that yields probably the best evidence also. So uh, if you can make it, it's uh, I think it's around noon central time on May the 19th. Head over to fiosinc.com and sign up. It's absolutely free. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. We are still working on setting up a page for the show notes. And when we do that, we'll post the link on the Legal Talk Network page. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Uh, thank you for joining the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.